1: back to The Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite history, mythology, philosophy podcast where we analyze and discuss storytelling and where it seeps into our popular culture. As always, I am very, 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 very excited to be here today and to talk to you folks for another Midnight Myth episode. We are doing a Midnight Myth special episode. We've never really done anything quite like this before. This is a first. We just got out of watching Avengers Endgame, the penultimate Avengers movie, culminating 22 movies, a decade of time of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we knew we wanted to talk about it. We loved talking about Infinity War. And we have seen this movie now only once. And we are going to bring to you our Avengers Assemble episode. This being stated, highly important, this movie just came out this week for those of you who are up to date. Um, So spoiler wall is up. We are going to have a no holds barred discussion about this movie. In particular, I'm interested in diving into some of the historical elements of this movie and, uh, and meditating on some history that I have recently engaged with but please see the movie before you listen to this because we will spoil it.
0: Yes, this is going to be heavy, heavy with Endgame spoilers. Um, I'm happy to be here as well. I am newly rehydrated after not intaking any fluids for several hours before the movie uh, because it was a long one, but I made it and I'm very excited and I'm still stewing in sort of some of my reactions and my responses to this movie But I think right out of the gate, we were able to make some major connections in history and mythology and philosophy as well, how we wanted to interpret this movie. And so I'm excited to do this sort of quick take on it, but also dig deep under the surface and figure out some of the themes that are at play underneath.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um, Before we begin, Laurel, if people want to reach us in particular, if they want to support the podcast, how can they?
0: So please hit us up on social media. Twitter is the best place to do that. Our Twitter is where it's at, at The Midnight Myth. Uh, You can also hit us up on Facebook or on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. You can head over to our website, www.midnightmyth.com, for more content. There's going to be blogs that we update as often as we can. And you can sign up for our email newsletter there as well. And we'll only email you once a month or so with extra updates. You can also at the website, click on the shop link and head over to our brand new merch store, which has t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, everything for the Midnight Myth and the Wheel of Ka, which is our uh, Dark Tower sub podcast. And if you haven't yet, check out our Dark Tower sub podcast, the Wheel of Ka with Derek and Steve. It's fantastic. They're doing excellent work. Read along with Stephen King's The Dark Tower with us, and we hope you enjoy that extra content there.
1: Yeah, and if you want two free audiobooks, I believe we have a banner on our website. This that is true. If you click on, you can get two free audiobooks that will also help support the podcast. So if you're looking to catch up on sources, if we've inspired you about reading something, use our Audible link on uh, www.midnightmyth.com. All right. Enough shameless self-promoting and plugging. Right, yeah. Let us roll up our sleeves. Let us dust off our nanobite uh, armor. Let us pick up our, our vibranium shield, and let's talk all things Avengers. My first question that I have for you, Laurel. We just got out of the movie. We grabbed a bite to eat. We've had a little preliminary discussion, but we've been pretty much inoculated to the opinions out there. I haven't been on social media in the, up, in the precipice to the movie because I was worried about seeing a spoiler. I know you've done a little bit of social media. You've been a little more active on it. So, But I, I say this, I don't know what people are thinking and feeling. I just know that this movie is very popular. What is your quick reaction to Avengers Endgame? If you could sum it up succinctly in a paragraph, what would that paragraph be?
0: Uh, Okay, so this movie had me like jumping out of my seat, cheering. It had me weeping. It had me laughing. It had me clapping. It had me shouting. All kinds of emotional responses that I usually am able to hold in. I was not able to hold in with this movie. I felt very engaged with some very transcendent moments. And I think it did uh, tremendous service to its characters. On the other end of that... I didn't like this as much as Infinity War and I think that's because uh, Infinity War felt more focused uh, in terms of how it structured its narrative uh, flow and I felt like I was being swept along in a story and an adventure and in this film it felt a little more episodic to me and this is not to denigrate the film at all. I think it was very successful in what it wanted to do and I felt deeply moved by so much of it It just wasn't my favorite MCU movie.
1: It's totally okay to say you liked another MCU movie more than this one. Out of the gate is your first quick reaction. I think that's fair. I totally agree with you. I weeped in this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, MCU movie has never made me cry. I summarily cheered. I summarily laughed. I had a full emotional gambit. I felt my quick reaction to it is... Well done, Marvel. This is a good end to a long period of movies that you paid off major character arcs, that you paid off major storytelling elements. You pulled off the impossible. This movie should not be possible. The MCU in typical Hollywood industry, the way you think about it, it shouldn't work. You shouldn't have this many group, this large of group, of so many amazing creative professionals able to work and focus on one vision that ended to one point, which was this movie for 22 movies. That is incredibly impressive. I am in all of it. I had so much fun. And I think that's my main takeaway. I had a blast in this movie. I got to see Captain America, wield Mjolnir, I just brutally, I can't pronounce it,
0: No, you said it right. Mjolnir, yeah.
1: I got to see Captain America with the powers of Thor. Yeah. I got to see Thor swinging beer. And uh, I got to see Iron Man pay off all of his arcs. And we'll we'll get into the specifics. But my quick reaction was, well done. You paid off all of these things. As a fan of Marvel, as a fan of comics, I couldn't be happier with the, the way they ended it. And I think there are some interesting, deeper levels I'd like to engage the story with. Yeah,
0: there's a lot to admire, so I appreciate that perspective.
1: But before we do that, if you could give me one standout amazing moment, it could be a scene, it could be a dialogue, and afterwards maybe one moment that you were like, I would have liked to have seen something else or didn't really land.
0: Okay, great, 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 great. So I walked into this movie with just a slight amount of spoilage. I knew that the uh, general plot was going to revolve around time travel. I had my suspicions about um, Tony dying, and I was seeing everybody tweeting about I love you 3000. So those were pretty confirmed uh, as I went into it. But um, to speak to your question, I think the like biggest emotional land for me surprises me Because as much as I like Captain America and have always enjoyed his films and have always enjoyed Chris Evans in the role, uh, I've always been an Iron Man person. I've always been on that side of the coin and I'm not as enamored of Captain America as a lot of people are and I understand why people are. I just haven't been there. That's fair. Um, But the, uh, the final shot of this movie and the final moments of Steve finally getting to live the life that he's always wanted... Was so so satisfying. You mean him and, and Peggy? Yeah, being with Peggy and us closing on them just dancing in their living room and knowing that they're about to have a life together, they're about to be married, and like truly get to spend all of the time that was lost together was just. Uh, there's no better. There's no better gift that you could give either of those characters, and I was just tremendously moved by it. That's the moment that I was openly weeping and like whimpering in the theater. And I just thought that was such a gift to them and to us. Um, I
1: love that. That's beautiful. Sorry so, to interrupt.
0: Yeah, that's the moment that I want us to put out as a standout, even though there are so many, there are moments where I was just jumping out of my chair, cheering. Um, and then your the second part of your question was like...
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe if you want to do a nitpick or a moment that didn't land... Um, Or if you want to use this to do another moment you thought was great, do that too.
0: What I do want to say is the biggest problem that I had with this movie, uh, and I think it's worth saying and I think it's worth thinking about, is um, while I think that some justice was done to Thor in the, uh, the emotional journey that he goes on with him confronting his failure, him confronting his grief, and him confronting his... Uh, his responsibility in the loss uh, as everyone is trying to figure out their responsibility in the loss that was suffered in Infinity War. uh, I thought it was in very poor taste and very irresponsible for his uh, physical transformation to be played for laughs the way that it was. So as you know, Thor finally shows up in this film in the five years later, having gained many pounds uh, from guzzling beer and eating pizza with Meek and Korg. And every chance that the film got, it threw a cheap shot at how he got fat and how uh, how awful that is and how funny that is. And I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's cute. I don't think it's good to uh, to make fun of his physical appearance in that way and then to fat shame anybody. And I also don't think it was a responsible way to deal with the trauma that he was Uh, suffering. Everybody else got a respectful uh, uh, take on their trauma, except for him.
1: Yeah. Let's put a pin on that, maybe come back to it in our more in-depth analysis, because I I think you raised something very interesting. I have always had a strong connection to Norse history, which then led me to then Norse mythology, which has then led me to really liking the character Thor. My journey with the character Thor, I was in the throes of a medieval history class where I got friendly with the professor and she opened up a special study second class in the medieval history class. Cause I'm that nerd where, <laughs> cause we were talking and we briefly mentioned the Vikings and I went to office hours and I'm like, is there a class on Vikings? And the professor was like, no, but would you like me to build you one in this class? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll see if I can get you extra credit too. like ex- like it, instead of it being a three credit class, it was a five credit class because I studied medieval history and I studied Norse history That's on top awesome. of it, which then got me into Norse mythology because in studying the Vikings and the era Vikings, you have to then uh, reconcile with the of religion. Course, yeah. It's one of the defining characteristics that separates it from the European continent um, at that time. And Summarily, I've said that word like 10 times. I'm not going to say that word anymore. It also happened that this coincided with the first Thor movie coming out. Yeah. While I'm in the throes of all of this Norse history and reading all of these awesome secondary Norse uh, historical sources, Thor comes out and I just grappled onto it because I'm like, this is amazing. And Thor has always been one of my favorite MCU characters because of that that I did also feel a little bit like... A little cheated. Yeah, you know, Thor... And Chris Hemsworth is such a good comic actor. He does everything so well. And he was so amazing in Infinity War. They made him pay a price and they took a lot of cheap shots at his beer belly. And speaking as a guy who likes beer and pizza too much, we tend to get bellies and, you know, maybe it's not okay to always make fun of it. So I'm with you.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I'm totally with you there.
0: Yeah, I um, appreciate it. Do, do you want me to give mine? I want you to give yours. So give me your standout scene first.
1: My favorite moment of the movie, first reaction, after Thanos has beaten the shit out of Captain America and uh, Iron Man and Thor, and he summons his army, and he gives this elegant Thanos evil speech saying, all of the worlds I've conquered, all of the people I've killed, it has never been personal, It has always been my just Thanos, I need to kill people because I'm an asshole. And that's why I do it. But I'm going to really enjoy what I'm going to do to your planet. And Captain America gets up and faces an entire alien army by himself. And then suddenly his earpiece crackles. And then it's Sam, Sam being the Falcon, Sam Wilson being like, Captain on your left. And we see the 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 portal opening from the wizards and you're like that's right all the heroes are alive and out comes the wakandans yeah out comes spider-man out Out comes the
0: sorcerers the
1: sorcerers and then dr strange and the guardians of the galaxy and t'challa are all there and i'm like that's right captain america will stand alone against an army but because he will, he'll always have his own army at his back, too. Yeah. And that to me was like my fucking moment. I
0: absolutely would have have called that one out if it wasn't for, you know, just the, the big gut punch of the ending, because that that's scene fair. Just, I just was cheering. I
1: totally cheered. And indifference to you. You love Iron Man. I'm a Captain America guy yeah. through and through. That's my favorite MCU character. That's the character I love the most. And to see Captain America be the last man standing against an army. But oh, wait, here comes the cavalry because that is an American phrase. Here comes the cavalry pertains to American military history because we had cavalry out on the range and they would always come at the moment when you needed the most. Thus, the the mythos is whether that's reality. We can debate. It's not. But anyway,
0: That's a great call out, but that is just
1: such an American moment that the cavalry comes to stand behind the lone hero. And at that moment, you're like, I knew that this movie would not end with Thanos's victory. And it wasn't clear to me how this would end, whether Thanos would endure, whether the snap would endure, whether there'd be some cliffhanger, in that moment i'm like oh the heroes are winning this fucking thing yeah. and it's about goddamn time yeah and i loved it that was my standout moment that was awesome that was my favorite moment i think in terms of moments that i i could have liked or would have liked to have seen a little more and it's just this is just a weird and this is very nitpicky so scott lang ant-man's journey is one of loss he is trapped in the quantum realm for five years, um, but he uh, ostensibly time travels because he's only there for five hours. Right. And he wants to, like everyone else, reunite with his friends and family. And then Hope just kind of shows up and they're, he's just like, oh, hey, let's just all go fight. And I'm like, oh, the other characters kind of got to live their reunite. And I felt like that one just seemed a little, oh, she's just here now? and yeah. Every, like that one just felt a little thrown in. Like, let's just throw the wasp in. She's not a real character anyway. So no one's going to care that, oh, wow. like, you know, like it, no one's really going to care that that's not going to matter. And, you know, you know, Ant-Man and wasp, their like rapport is like, so, so to begin with anyway. And so I felt like that was felt a little cheap when compared to what everyone else went through in particular, in the first act, the way that Scott EG Ant-Man was Thinking and feeling, and how obsessed he was about writing this wrong. Yeah, and then suddenly they're together, like, all right, cool, let's go do our Ant-Man and the Wasp thing. And I'm like, that seemed quick.
0: I think that's totally fair. I I didn't read it the same way. I definitely had that thought through my mind, but they 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 did get a moment to share a look and be like, we don't have time. Let's go do our thing. But I agree. I agree that like there could have been a little bit more attention paid to that.
1: Yeah, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to have been in the battle. But maybe in the yeah. aftermath, well, I don't know, man. It's hard because fucking Iron Man just died. Yeah, how do you give attention to Ant Man when Iron Man just died? You know? Right. So, right. but that—that's my point. That they felt that that sort of character journey of all of the elements that got to pay off to the characters. Ant Man in the third act gets the short end of the stick, and by virtue, so does Wasp, who is just there for battle but not more. Like they give more till Valkyrie and Pepper Potts in the third act than they did to Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I could have used not much, but a little something.
0: Yeah, I absolutely get that. All right. I absolutely get that.
1: I would like to pivot, if you would permit me. Let's do it. I would like to pivot to my sort of historical thinking about this movie.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to dive into some of the the, the deeper themes that are at play.
1: And I would like to hearken back specifically to a particular historian if memory serves correct, I want to say is a historian in Harvard, but I could be wrong. It's a historian by the name of Drew Faust. In January of 2009, uh, this historian wrote a book called This Republic of Suffering, Death in the American Civil War. It's one of the best Civil War narratives that I've ever read. And I've read a few. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I've read a bunch.
0: And we're talking the Civil War that happened in our country in 1860 to 1865, not Iron Man versus Captain America.
1: Correct. The American Civil War. This is a book about the American Civil War. Great. And what this book details at great length is how Americans viewed and interacted with death in the Civil War, in the pre-Civil War, and then during the Civil War. And 600,000 Americans died in the Civil War. It is the bloodiest battle in the history of the North and South American continents And there hasn't been a battle bloodier since or before that we know of. Previous to the Civil War, Americans had a idea of what a good death was. And a good death was that you made it to a ripe age, that you were surrounded by your family in your home, that you likely had a clergy member there with you to pray with you, to pray with your family.
0: Or take your last confession.
1: And they surrounded you until your last dying breath. And then they went forward with the burial ritual that would usually be in accordance with your particular religion, um, but usually buried in a casket with a priest of some sort that would give last rites there. And this was the idea of what it meant to die well as an American old in your bed with your family and friends surrounded with surrounding you with someone to guide you through the threshold of life and death, usually a priest of some Christian form because that was the dominant religion at that time. The civil war changed that when over half a million people die in the short span of a few years, the ability to have that type of death ritual disappears. You're not talking about people that are dying when they're old. You're not talking about people dying with their families surrounding them. Plenty of bodies were unidentified Plenty of bodies got buried in mass graves without funeral rites the way that you would have if you were being buried with your family. And it changed the relationship that America had to death. And the reason I bring this up is because I feel like there's a grieving of death happening throughout this movie. And we have the Thanos snap and we have universal wide genocide And we get to see some moments how, in particular, Captain America and Black Widow are dealing with this in very early moments in the movie. And they're not dealing with it rather well because the concept of what it means to have a good death has been stripped from them. There is now more death around them than they could ever think of, that they could ever imagine. And if you ask at the core, what does Captain America fight for, why is Captain America fighting at all? What is he trying to do? He's trying to fight for the liberty of individuals. Well, if those individuals are dead, there's no one to fight for. In essence, he's fighting for life.
0: Yeah. And the death that surrounds them is unceremonious too. It it goes from uh signs up that say this person is missing. Uh, to a monument with people's names, but no one knows where they went, what happened really, if they felt pain. People, as in the opening moments of this movie, turn around and their entire family has disintegrated before their eyes.
1: They are uh, not able to have a proper burial. Yeah. They're not able to surround themselves with the necessary There's rituals. No sense that, of
0: closure. Yeah. That
1: help grieve, that say we are shepherding this life at the end and on to the next life. Whether you believe in a rebirth, whether you believe in an afterlife, like whatever your belief is, having that ritual is necessary in the grieving process. And confronted with death. Unimagined, uh, unimaginable on a scale that you can't even comprehend. How do we see them grieve in the beginning of this movie? Captain America is sitting in a group therapy. It's highly secularized. And the, the main message that Captain America is saying to them is find a way to move on. That's what makes you brave. Yeah, you're going to cry because there's no more baseball. And you might not make it through salad. Maybe you'll make it to dessert. But if you get to that second date, you did something courageous because we cannot physically cope, mentally cope, spiritually cope with half of the world dying in the the time span of a snap of fingers. This also works with Black Widow, who's just like, man, man. The thing I was fighting for wasn't Liberty, but she was fighting for the Avengers. She was fighting for her surrogate family. She was fighting to make sure that she could protect them and that they in turn could protect others. That was the cause that she needed to feel redeemed from being a ruthless assassin in her past. And she is separated from her best friend in Hawkeye, in Barton, who saved her from assassination and in, you know, brought her into the fold of shield and all she has left is just try to do whatever kind of avenging she can do on whatever scale that she can do. And it's left her cold and it's left her hollow and it's left her sitting there with Steve Rogers, splitting a peanut butter sandwich thinking, my God, like we just cannot possibly begin to grieve.
0: I I really appreciate this perspective, and what what I'm gleaning from you citing this book, uh, this Republic of Suffering, is that right? That is
1: it, and it is a beautifully written history yeah. book.
0: What what I'm gleaning from that is that there is a, an a, assumption or an intention that the American psyche changed after the Civil War with our relationship to death, not just our rituals but like we we changed fundamentally in terms of how we perceive how you die and how you go and i think what's what's really successful about relating that to this film and the infinity saga at large is um the microcosm of the universe in america the 13 colonies or however many states there were at the time of the Civil War. I don't even remember. There were more than 13. Obviously, there they were more than They were expanding westward, yeah. and there were
1: plenty of territories. But I
0: don't remember how many there were at this point. But it was a Fun small... Fact,
1: t- the Civil War was fought over not the slavery in the original colonies, but slavery in the territories. Correct, yeah. And what would be slave states and not be slave states Yeah. in the expansion um, of America westward. But anyway, I digress.
0: But anyway, what I'm trying to get at here is that it's a small amount of people... Uh, in, in the cosmic scale of things, but so many people died that if you were an American, you knew someone who died. Everyone had tangible closeness to death. And what's happening with the transition between Infinity War and Endgame is everyone has lost someone. Everyone has lost multiple friends, lovers, family members, acquaintances, teachers, students, people have lost people and no one is exempt from that. And so what you imagine going forward, if we don't undo this, we have changed the way that the universe's psyche processes death from here on out.
1: Correct. And Thanos, who the name Thanos, we talked about this in our Infinity War podcast, is derived from the Greek word of death. Yeah. Thanos represents death. When Thanos confronts the heroes, Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man, and the third act of the film, when the, three, the four of them all battle, he says, you know, thank you for this time-traveling thing. I've realized that because you cannot fully grieve, I'm paraphrasing, and because of that, you'll find a way to try to undo what I need to do. My vision of the universe needs to be total in scope. I can't just massacre half of life I need to massacre all life and then rebuild a completely different universe in my own making. Because you can't get over death, I, death incarnate, need to make my death so final that I can build a universe that can finally accept that death is the most natural state of life.
0: Yeah, he fully doubles down on this idea of being a god of death or a god of destruction because in Infinity War, we saw him grapple with the uh, the sort of unilateral power that he thought he should be able to wield and he thought was moral for him to wield because he was the only one who could make this decision. And that power is realized through death, whether or not you think his uh, concept of balance is proper or not. But then he doubles down and says, "I'm going to destroy all of this so that everyone that I create will love me." Uh, and there's a very fire and brimstone Old Testament God to it. Um, but I, I'm glad you brought up the Greek mythology connection there, because uh, not only is Thanatos, the uh, you know the derivative or the um, the antecedent for Thanos's name, the personification of death or a sort of Grim Reaper figure of Greek mythology. It's also the name that Sigmund Freud gives to his psychological conception of the death drive that human beings have. Uh, And he juxtaposes Thanatos, our death drive, uh, with Eros, our life impulse. And I think with the culmination of this saga, we have the life impulse going head to head with the death drive like what you said uh, with Captain America fighting for life. And I wrote a blog on our website this week as we were sort of uh, germinating on the uh, the Iron Man cap, uh, character study that we did uh, in our previous episode, where I was thinking about how interesting it is to have Tony Stark going head-to-head with Thanos in Infinity War, which again comes to fruition in Endgame, and how... Very similar, these two characters are in terms of their own superiority and their own conception of themselves as godlike, whether or not they would care to admit it. And Thanos having this destructive impulse, this uh, you know, this desire to wield power through destruction, is in direct opposition to Tony's desire to wield power through creation. Uh, he chooses to create life in Ultron, in Vision, in the Iron Man suit itself and i asked some questions in the blog about like how how do we put these characters head to head and argue out how to best wield power and how do we get tony to a point where his creative impulse his desire to create life is productive instead of you know preemptively destructive in creating someone like ultron and i got to say this movie surprised me even though I, I could have figured it out if I'd put my mind to it, but it had not become a father. And to put Thanos, this sort of big daddy figure against Tony who has always had issues with his own father and have Tony be able to work out some of those issues by meeting his father face-to-face and being a good father to a young person I think is really powerful and a great way to wrap up his saga.
1: Okay, I love... Everything that you're saying, and I love where you're going, and so let's talk about Tony a little bit too, because I think there are a few different layers to your point that I'd like to draw upon yeah, if you don't mind me. Sure. For starters, if we understand Endgame as the characters not being able to deal with the immensity and amount of death when death is stripped from family, when death is stripped from ritual, when death is not met ceremoniously and not treated as a good death, but a senseless death. The psychic wound it creates culturally amongst the Avengers, which we can understand metaphorically as all people, which is the civil war, that cultural and psychic wound. We are still living under the shadow today in 2019. We still haven't really rectified with the amount of destruction and death Americans had brought upon Americans in that war When we look at Tony and we look at his death, his death is the good death. His death is understandable. His death is surrounded by his surrogate son. Yeah. It's surrounded by his closest friends. It's surrounded by his wife. It is surrounded by wizards who are the the ritual keepers, the magic keepers there. As in our 100th episode. His wife looks at him and says, will be okay. She gives him permission to stop fighting to be alive and allows him to die, which transitions then into the funeral. And in that funeral scene, we see all of our heroes get to say goodbye to Tony, and it's beautiful. But what is the thing Hulk says after that? I had the glove. I did the snap. I tried to bring back Black Widow. I thought I could, but I couldn't. Because Black Widow does not get the good death, he is not able to feel a sense of closure. The characters are not able to get a sense of closure. But because Tony is able to have the good death, there's a sense of closure there. Because he got to be surrounded by those that loved him and those that he loved, because he was able to have the ritual, because he was able to do the noble and good death, it is okay. It's okay to the point where... One of Tony Stark's best friends is chilling with his daughter and they're talking about getting cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers. probably the emotional core. Like, I mean, there's a lot of emotions in this movie, but that to me was one of the most emotional scenes being like, how you doing kiddo? Good. I'm hungry for cheeseburgers. Yeah. And, and happy the character happy played by John Favreau was just like, Oh my God, Tony loved cheeseburgers, which we all hearken back to Iron Man one when he gets out of captivity he says he needs two things, first an American cheeseburger and second a press conference. And it really pays off because Tony gets the good death. So I think it links into the entire narrative of grief, of dealing with the snap of unable to heal because of the psychic wounds, and if you had the power to undo these wounds, wouldn't you do undo them? If we Americans could undo the Civil War and still have a free and fair society at the end of it, but not have 600,000 American soldiers, both Confederate and Union die, wouldn't that be better? And because they're able to do that, they're able to give Iron Man the good death. We are able to psychically heal from Iron Man's death, but we aren't able to fully heal from Black Widows.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's just occurring to me, as you say this, like, yes, if we could undo the Civil War, we would do it. And to a certain extent, this film does undo the snap, but it also doesn't erase the fact that it happened. It, you know, hits a control Z, but you still typed, you know, that sentence. I love Um, that. (laughs) And five years have passed. So People have experienced the loss, and they will never get back those five years of grieving, Mm -hmm. of bereavement, but they have the prize back. So as we see like Peter Parker and Ned embracing in the hallway and just tears streaming down Ned's face because he he presumably survived the snap and has been missing his friend for all this time. Uh,
1: Oh, I I didn't read that because... If so, Ned would be out of high school. I
0: was also thinking about that. I was like, "Well, they're still in high school. I guess five Whatever. years have gone." Yeah, the
1: emotions are what matter here, not the there. continuity. Yeah, uh,
0: and and Hawkeye is another great one where it's like his family comes back and they don't know what's happened, but he will never be able to uh, unmake that scar of you know, seeing his family evaporate before him and then going on a killing spree. Yeah, you want to uh,
1: talk about the psychic wound of unable to grieve yeah. for the loss, uh, and unable to have a good death. Hawkeye just becomes a mass fucking murderer. Yeah. He becomes the punisher. It's pretty wild. He's just like, if I think that you're a bad person, I'm just going to kill you and yeah. no one and nothing can stop me. And I mean, that is the psychic wound of Thanos of the Thanatos, um, just completely manifest, literally in the flesh, and I think that was necessary in this movie to show the wound um, that Thanos had left, that it had left on the culture, and that that wound is not healable because it will never have the ritual. It well, that wound will echo in perpetuity which Thanos recognizes, which is why when he's like, I'm going to get the gauntlet again, and I'm just going to undo it all so that none of this ever happened.
0: I am inevitable, as he says. Absolutely. And, and the psychic wound is inevitable. Grief is inevitable.
1: And you mentioned another you know, line that I think is an interesting theme of the movie is that all the money in the world can't buy back time.
0: Oh, it's so good. That's so good. In
1: a movie where time travel is one of the biggest mechanics – I thought that was a very interesting thing to meditate on because once you waste time, you can't get it back. But what if you can travel through time? And I think this movie says definitively there are things that happen that no matter what your power, no matter what your timeline, no matter what your magical abilities or godlike abilities or super science-like abilities will still happen.
0: Yeah, well, Tony can't get his childhood back. He can begin to recognize... Uh, his own faults, he can begin to recognize uh, the fallibility of his father, and he can begin to forgive his father, but he can't get his childhood back. And that's a bittersweet realization. And the only character who's able to get an ounce of time back is Cap at the end of this through a loophole. But all of us have to live with the fact that we can't turn back time, we have to keep moving forward, we have to move on, uh, but we can begin to repair those wounds in the past if we're able to uh, recognize them and confront them, even if it's not literally being able to see, you know, your deceased father face to face. It's how do I begin to reconcile myself with the wounds I have been carrying from the past?
1: Absolutely. Another big theme that we can understand as being closed through Tony is the theme of father issues. Yes, which is also implicit in the mythological tug between God, the father and the humans fighting for who has more control over the promised land. When you have an angry, vengeful God like Thanos, or is it a angry, vengeful God like Odin, or is it a more loving and caring God the way that Captain America views God. And there is this also literal between characters dealing with their parents and their parents' trauma in particular with males dealing with the sins of their fathers coming down on them, which is also literal between Odin and Thor between Howard Stark and Tony Stark between Thanos and his children. And I think Tony being able to see his father and having a moment where he and his father can connect man to man and have it be a real genuine moment. Having Tony being able to confront Thanos the also angry, more mythologized, the more unconscious version of what an angry father or an angry God would be and be able to vanquish that, kind of puts an end to this chapter of Marvel characters dealing with these parental figures who have been standing in their way or holding them down or being the demon that they're trying to chase. cannibalizing them, yeah. And I think that this is the end of that, phase of Marvel. I mean, Black Panther has it dealing with the sins of his father. Yeah, Uh, You know, it Spider-Man's problem is that he doesn't have a father figure. Then Tony comes in as a father figure, but he's imperfect. Now Tony Stark is gone. So I think the, they have kind of uh, wiped this theme clean by having Tony finally getting over his father issues, having Tony finally being able to defeat Thanos means that we are now finally able to move on, having Thor hanging out with the Asgardians of the galaxy, which I'm really excited for that movie now. Yeah. You know, Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy, sign me up. So his main issue isn't dealing with his father's legacy. He has left all that behind. Captain America gets to die an old, happy man who lived his long and good, you know, mid-20th century American life. Fantastic. And now we get to see the next era and the next theme.
0: Yeah. You know, it's occurring to me as you say this, and this is just because we've just come from the theater that this is, uh, just now arriving in my brain, but Tony coming face to face with Howard Stark is very much, uh, an echo of that scene in civil war where he does the sort of AI, uh, virtual reality reconciliation with his parents the night before they die. Um, where he's like, what if you could go back? What if you could relive these moments and have them turn out a different way? And of course, you know, things don't turn out a different way. It still turns out the way that it does, but he does have the chance to uh, symbolically say goodbye. And what I think that's sort of metaphorically saying here is that no, we can't go back and change the past, of course. I can't go back and make my father be be better or more attentive to me, but I can Uh, I can confront the issue within myself and I can give a little bit more. I can give a little bit more forgiveness and love to the issue and uh, come out the other side a stronger person.
1: And our fathers are not these angry gods of our childhood memory that bed into us subconsciously and that manifest mythologically into characters like Thanos. In fact, you get... Howard Stark being like, man, you know, my dad's lesson was the belt. And then you have Howard Stark being like, you know, I love my son. I'm going to do right by him, but I'm kind of a selfish narcissist because my dad beat me. And then we get to see how, or Tony Stark with his daughter, finally being a more loving and caring parent. And I think that is a very American journey that we, we, as you know, adult millennials can relate to. My dad was beaten with a belt by his father, who was the angry God. My father did everything in his power to not beat me with a belt and loved me, but still made mistakes.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: Because he's a human being, right? And then we are going to look at our children, our metaphorical future children, and we're going to try to get a little bit better, a little more caring, a little more nurturing, raise people a little more empathetically and we see that generationally within the Stark family and it's a sign of hope it is a sign that and one of the only characters interestingly enough now that we're on the Tony Stark train here that doesn't want to undo the snap in the first act of the movie is tony because and, he's
0: gained something
1: yeah he yeah. has a life when you are able to have life and to to be a and to, for tony to be a parent it means more to him than undoing the damage that was done. And he resists his call to adventure to, you know, develop time travel. Of course, he's Tony Stark. He still ends up doing it.
0: Yeah, he can't help it.
1: Because that's what heroes do. He can't stop being a hero all of a sudden. And he's a
0: creative hero. Yeah.
1: And he's just like, if, and he's also a mad scientist. So if yeah. I can invent time travel, why shouldn't I? And I could probably undo the snap. So why yeah. shouldn't I? But yeah, all really interesting things happening with this movie.
0: Well, and the mythological component to the the this line of inquiry we've been on is uh, Thanos being the mad Titan is an analog of Kronos, who is one of the Titans who walked the Earth before the you know pantheon of deities that we know um, to from be clear, Greek mythology is. Yeah, we're talking Greek mythology yeah, uh, as like Zeus and his progeny. Uh, Zeus's father was Kronos and he had several children and thought that one of them, or it was prophesied that one of them would rise up and destroy him. So he tried to eat all of his children and only Zeus escaped. Um, and this manifests in so many stories. It's in Harry Potter with Voldemort trying to neutralize Harry. It is in uh star Wars, obviously with the, uh, the generational conflict between Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. It's everywhere, but what we see in this film and we see in uh, you know, the saga that's been put forth is okay. The, the worst possible thing you can have is this cannibalistic cosmic father figure, this cannibalistic Titan and how we beat him, how the Avengers beat him is by laying down their lives for the next generation, instead of trying to destroy or trying to keep suppressed the next generation, the phase four superheroes, if you will, Tony lays down his life so that Spider-Man can get a sequel. Tony lays down his life so that there can be a Black Panther 2.
1: And it's very telling that Captain America, when confronted with the ability to travel backwards in time and live the life that he wanted to live, he chooses to do that, and he has no problem passing the shield to Sam.
0: Yeah, we get these moments of passing the baton or the the transfer of power that's so
1: successful, yes. And it's not difficult. He hands it to Sam. Sam has a moment of like, can I really carry this? And Sam says, one of the best lines, you know, I'll do my best. And what does Steve say to Sam? He goes, I know you will. That's why I'm giving it to you. That your best is enough. And he is literally passing the mantle of Captain America from the older generation. At this point now, Captain America has been aged. He is a senior citizen. He hands him that shield right over to Sam after Captain America gets to live his good life. And in this way, symbolically, Captain America also gets his version of the good death, though not a literal death, but Captain America's death. Yeah, he does. Steve Rogers is not dead. But Captain America, as Steve Rogers dies, and he gets to be reborn through Sam, and Sam is holding that With shield. Bucky
0: watching, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and there's no fear. There's no apprehension. It is an easy thing for him to do because he gets to live his life and gets to pass it on. One of the meta narratives I get in reflecting on Endgame is that the older generation can either eat its young... Yep. Or pass the shield. And Thanos is the one that wants to eat the young. Tony, his arc is one of like, cover the earth in, you know, death robots, because that's better than liberty and that's better than freedom, because at least then people will be alive. And he eventually has to learn to let go and realize that the world will be okay without him, because there's Pepper and there is his daughter, Morgan. 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 Yeah and Sam gets to pass the shield. And I would say, you mentioned Freud, you mentioned psychoanalysts, psychoanalysis, and psychoanalysis has a lot to say with ancient mythology, in particular Greek mythology. And it says primarily the standard, and this is really simplistic terms, so this is not meant to be the end-all, be-all discussion, that these myths represent subconscious desires that are latent within the underbelly of human thinking.
0: Yeah, sort of our
1: shadows. They manifest our impulses and our desires and that we see these angry personified humans who are willing to terrorize the world to get what they want because they're selfish and cruel. And in many ways, these are projections of the generation that you're handing, that is getting the baton passed down to them. And I think end game gives us a clear psychic answer to that. Not psychic and I can read minds, but psychic uh, yeah, and psychological yeah, yeah, gotcha. answer. Yeah. So that clear answer is that, you know, when you're confronted with this, don't just grab power and don't just narcissistically assume it's all about you and that you can snap your fingers and fucking fix everything. No, live your best life and do your very best to teach the people underneath you what you know, give them the freedom, the, the liberty to fuck it up on their way too, because you did as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something we come back to often on, on the midnight myth is, is freedom and the opportunity and the, the privilege to be able to make mistakes and how valuable that is for people as they're on their hero's journey or on their just general journey through life. And another thing I just want to, you know, give a little bit of recognition to here as we're talking about these major themes is how many times uh, throughout this movie, although, you know, when they split up for the time travel, I was like, you guys are splitting up again. How very Scooby-Doo of you. Can we please fight the bad guy altogether? But they finally earned that moment of being able to say Avengers assemble and that comes on the heels of Cap facing down Thanos and the army alone, but not alone. And Captain Marvel about to you know rush across the battlefield with the new Infinity Gauntlet in her hand, alone, but not alone. Because all of the women of the Avengers and the entire MCU are gonna back her up. And they're all gonna back each other up because each one of them would fight alone, would absolutely lay down their life for everybody else. But here's the thing. You don't all have to. You don't have to go in alone because we're here, we're behind you, and we're ready to assemble to fight for you.
1: Yeah, I love that. Can I give another moment that I think stands out to me? We were discussing this before we started recording, but uh, I just love that before they all time-traveled, Captain America, Steve Rogers gives his like big rousing. Yeah. This is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to win. No excuses, no mistakes. We're going to undo the snap. And I love that in that moment, the camera goes to Rocket. Rocket goes, Wow, oh, he's really good at that. And the reason I love that moment is because Rocket is ever the sarcastic. He is ever the poking the hole in things. Yeah. He is always mocking everyone and everything. Rocket is a character that is cynicism manifest, or
0: bathos personified. Yeah, a-
1: absolutely. And even he's just like, damn, that Captain America guy is really good at these speeches. Yeah,
0: he can't. He can't make fun of it.
1: <laughs> he has nothing to say. And he also, I mean, I also just other great Rocket moments. Now I'm being a little bit of a fanboy here. He fucking slaps Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just like, Thor, get your fucking head on right. We're here to do a mission. I lost everyone too. You're not the only one in pain, you asshole. And I loved, Rocket was really good in this movie. Did
0: you pick up on, as he's running through Asgard with the ether, did you pick up on the Asgardians being like, catch that rabbit? Yes, I that totally really heard great. them say
1: catch that rabbit. That
0: was really great.
1: That was very, very cool. I mean, yeah, just a lot of really good, fun moments like that. I mean, Marvel understands, and in particular the Marvel Cinematic Universe understands how to balance payoff for fans, mainstream accessibility, and deep themes. And they can balance those things very well. They can balance them and deliver on those goods. And as long as they continue to do things like the character Thanos, things like characters like Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America, and as long as they do justice to them, I do predict they will be a huge powerhouse force in cinema for a long time.
0: And just the way that great conflicts have changed the way that we psychologically understand huge concepts like life and death. The MCU has absolutely changed our concept and our psyche around entertainment. It's kind of wild to think about how 10 years ago uh, we saw movies in a totally different way. And, It's interesting to think about what our concept of storytelling is going to be going forward for the generation that has grown up with this in their life from the moment they were born. How are we going to understand storytelling and communal storytelling? They're big questions, but I'm interested to see how we answer them.
1: And I don't know where Endgame is going to land for me ultimately in cinematic history, ultimately in how I view the MCU. Um, because I do find, as I re-watch Marvel movies, my opinion from them out of the theater oh, yeah. tends to shift in sometimes weird ways. And wildly, yeah. So I would never think in 2019, the first Thor movie would be one of my favorite Marvel movies still. Because there was a while where I'm like, well, that's obviously one of the worst. And I never thought in 2019, I'd say Civil War is one of my least favorite Marvel right, movies. yeah. Um, when when I first saw it, I thought, how could Marvel movies get any better? My opinion on them tends to shift and change. But I do appreciate the cultural zeitgeist that we're in and that how Marvel is able to capture it and capture it in a way that is both uniquely American and that is both uniquely creative and also logistically so fucking impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Do you have a final thought?
0: Just uh, that I love you 3,000.
1: And until next time, guys, be kind. Be kind.